Okay, Lexington, it's time to talk. I'm Stephanie Feekson, Program Coordinator for Lexington's Domestic and Sexual Violence Prevention Coalition. And I'm Diane Fleet, Assistant Director of Greenhouse 17 and Chair of the Prevention Coalition. Welcome to It's Time to Talk. We'll be talking to many community members to help us gain understanding and model conversations and actions to help us move forward so that you can say, it's time and I am ready to help. So welcome back to the It's Time to Talk podcast. On this episode, we're gonna be talking about domestic violence in the workplace. And this is something that Diane and I have been talking about for a long time. Um, it's such an important issue for survivors because just to share a few statistics, 98% of relationships with an abusive partner have financial abuse in them. Um, economics is one of the main reasons why um, victims return to or stay longer with an abuser. Um, and a lot of the times in the past, what we have seen is that survivors are often the ones punished at their workplace for the behavior that the perpetrator brings into the workplace. So we wanted to talk today about how we can create a different culture around that. And so to help us with this conversation today, I'm really excited to have Kathy Love. I've known Kathy for a really long time. She's former president of St. Joe East. She was also the first board president of Greenhouse 17, just rolled off from being board president at Greenhouse 17 and is probably afraid to see me all the time because we'll probably <laughs> ask her to be board president once again. So love having Kathy here. And then I have been following Rob Perez's work for quite some time. Um, he is the founder of Saul Good and also Deviate Restaurants, which employs people recovering from substance use and formerly incarcerated folks. And so that um, social enterprise is near and dear to my heart um, because we have a similar, well, we have a similar agriculture program at Greenhouse. So business and workplace, I think there's so much um, humanity that can come about with people's work and sense of work and dignity. So thank you both for being here today. Um, yeah, thank you. So I think you've got our first question. <laughs> so um, talking about DVA, it's such an innovation for Lexington. And so clearly you have already seen how employment can play a role in answering sort of these social issues. So could you talk a little bit about how you came to that realization, how that happened for you? Literally, it wasn't was anything to do with me because I didn't think it was a good idea. Um, my wife, Diane, really wanted to try to figure out how to express her faith uh, in a more meaningful way by kind of taking our experiences in life and trying to figure out how to turn it into something that would help. And I have a background of addiction. Uh, she helped me through uh, rehab when I was 25. And we together built restaurants here in Lexington and figure what if we combine that and focus specifically on people that were in early stages of substance use disorder and try to figure out how to work with folks that a job was important, but their recovery was even more important. And we try to be uh, informed about how to manage our folks in a way that is pleasing to each individual. And at the end of the day, uh, Diane forced me to do this but I found out that when I started working with our group, our folks, that the names became more important than the, the word addiction. 
And I started to feel that uh, each of the folks that we employ have unlimited capacity for excellence. And the reality of it is, is it's an uneven playing field for them to get back to where they deserve to be. And uh, it's, it's really become Diane and Mai's life work and we wouldn't change it for anything. And I think it, it, it really dovetails right into your conversation for sure. Absolutely, and I appreciate that you said that you've learned how to manage people with those issues because that's a lot of what having a policy for domestic violence is about, is understanding some of the issues that survivors in the workplace experience. So, Kathy, do you have any experience with um, domestic violence in the workplace? Absolutely. Um, you know, in healthcare, it, it is a uh, female-dominated mm -hmm. industry. Um, and if you, if you look at the statistics, um, how many women find themselves in situations um, where they have domestic issues in the home, it is only natural that industries with a lot of female employees are gonna encounter this. Um, there's also been a great rise on violence issues in hospital settings. And so, um, you know, when you look at the rise over the last year in domestic homicides in Lexington, it has been something that has been a, made a heightened awareness, but it's something I've always been very passionate about, um, you know, with my uh, roles with Greenhouse 17 and all the great education I've received over the years um, with that organization. But um, I've always wanted to be a leader in my organizations that somebody can come to. And I, so I've made it, you know, I've really tried to make it very known what my community um, passions are and be that place. And so I've had several employees over the years come to me or be referred to me through HR. But you mentioned, you know, you mentioned about um, things that can show up in an employee's world, absenteeism, um, tardiness, other things that if you were just looking at the employee on paper, you would never, you would discipline that employee versus digging a little deeper to say that's, that's a little out of character and reaching out and trying to give a safe place to talk and see if there's something else going on. I think that's one of the really important pieces, and Rob, you somewhat said that a little bit too, of, you know, this was not something that you uh, uh, welcomed walking into, right? There was had to be a little bit of a nudge from your wife, Diane, to kind of go, you know, this is something that we can do. We've had our own personal experience, and how can we give back? And, and I think one of the things that Stephanie and I have realized when we're talking with employers is they sometimes feel uncomfortable even stepping into it. They have to be kind of dragged a little bit to come to the table to have this conversation. And I think we also get really stuck into policy and HR of check that's done, right? I have a policy on harassment, I have a policy on this, but it tends to be a little punitive, right? Like you're not showing up on time, you're not this. And so we're really asking the community to look at the impact of trauma and particularly in this case, intimate partner violence, right? And how can we begin to educate ourselves to be aware of it? And how can we support our employees differently than this is just what's expected to hold a job. We want to invest in you and we care about you. And so how can we do that um, so that it's a win for both the business, but it's also a win for the staff that we have. So if people are listening in, 
what would be sort of like, how can we get people to kind of brush off those policy and procedures and go, I think this is worth the first step to begin to build this, um, bake this into our, to our work? Yeah, for me, you know, it was um, very evident right away that I had to, to change my paradigm. And I had to look specifically at this subject from a different perspective. And because I'm a man, I didn't recognize that some of the things that I was doing was maybe contributing to this issue. Uh, first and foremost, I have to tell you with our workforce, our uh, mothers with children have it so much harder in life to be able to pull themselves up and to remove the obstacles that are in their way and to live a, a, a fulfilling life just because of all the demands that are placed on them. And I think that that's really important to acknowledge as an employer. Second of all, it's, it's really interesting that when I talk to people about this idea that we don't have to have this policy of not hiring people with a past, we could just say, our normal HR policies sometimes dictate that we exclude someone with a past by just looking for things like omissions in between jobs, like if there's six months off here, nine months off there, you automatically don't hire. And it's always surprising to me when I talk to an executive that might even be a female, that they're surprised when I say, how do you feel that you're excluded based on that if you took maternity leave. And I think that that's just an illustration about how maybe it's me as a male boss, I need to take a step back and realize that I have to understand it a little bit more differently, but first I have to open up my mind to it. That's really, it's sort of like looking at the tea leaves differently, right? So that nine month absence from the workforce, what we may think is this is not a dependable person, might really be representative, here's a person who's staying home to take care of a child, here's maybe somebody mm -hmm. who's staying home to take care of, or a person who's had um, an abusive partner being, uh, to uh, having to leave town mm -hmm. or have to, it's no longer safe to come to work. Right. So yeah, Kathy, right. I don't know what your thoughts are. Well, I, you know, we, we in healthcare, we see it both from employees and also in patients. And our clinical staff has, has received a lot of training to recognize abuse. But going back to HR, mm -hmm. they are not. And so I think it really is um, the responsibility of executives and HR leaders to really bring humanity back into the workplace and when i say that i mean rob mentioned the punitive and you talked about the punitive nature of hr policies it is very punitive and the larger your company is the the more you feel like that your hands are tied but that's not true you need to be a place where people feel comfortable to come and talk and you need to be you need to be educated with resources to give you know, we, we run, um, at St. Joe's, there's a wonderful women's hospital on the East Campus, and um, our clinics who have, they will see a lot of times when an uh, abusive partner will not leave the patient alone for an examination or for anything else. And so um, they started putting brochures in the bathroom, because that's the one place where a lot of times people are left alone 
um, all, all different things that you can do, whether it's looking at your policies, thinking about where you can have resources because the workplace is a lot of times where they're the one time they're away from their abuser and um, just be a great resource. Kathy, I really appreciate that um, it sounds like maybe where you worked didn't have a formal domestic violence policy, which we would not. love, mm -hmm. but you mm -hmm. took it upon yourself to say, I am going to be the safe person, which is amazing because mm -hmm. it gives power to everybody, even if you're not the person that gets right. to decide those sorts right. of things. But right. can you talk about some of the things that you did to increase safety for some of the survivors that came to you? Absolutely. Um, we, uh, it, I had a, a situation where I had an employee once come to me and talk about the fact that they were um, putting a safety plan in place. And that's something I've always encouraged is to reach out to Greenhouse or the coalition and and get with an advocate and develop what is the right safety plan for you. And make your employer aware of your safety plan because most employers um, will certainly, you know, if it needs to be as extreme, if, you, if you've got a protection order in place, then that's something your employer needs to know and you need to make sure that you, your security team is watching for, you know, that person. Um, it's not unusual in healthcare, unfortunately, to have angry people, um, but there are signs that you can see, um, certainly, that puts everybody on a different level of alert. And unfortunately, we live in a world now where violence in the workplace um, is something that we have to educate ourselves and our employees on. And I think this is just another uh, element of that, or it's a cause of, of workplace violence that we have to take into consideration. I do think there's been a real, um, I don't know, transformation might be too big of a word, but I do think employers are much more aware now of substance use, addiction, intimate partner violence. Um, but often we're kind of coming from like old information if we're an employee. So I'm afraid to tell my employer that this is happening because there's been past stories of being let go. I don't want this violence to occur at my place. I have to protect other people right. at this place. And so I really need you just to look for employment elsewhere. We're seeing that a little bit in some of the housing rules. We can't evict somebody because they are a victim of domestic violence. And so some of that that change, I think, does have to be kind of right up front, right, right. with your HR policies, because you may have the kindest, most compassionate um, response, but if nobody feels safe telling and disclosing, right. then we're not going to come forward. And what happens then is people just sort of suffer in silence. They don't tell people, so then security isn't aware. We can't make arrangements. We can't do good safety planning because I'm a single mom, you know, with kids, and I can't lose my job, right? I can't do that. And I know that's an area that Stephanie and I bumped into a little bit when talking to employers about setting up policy. I think people are always afraid to put in paper what they're going to do in case they miss something or they're not able to. Um, but at the same time, it's such a critical piece that people know that this is okay and I can disclose this information and I'm educated as to who my resources are. So I don't know that there was a question yeah. all of that. Well, what was my question, Rob? Well, I don't it's know. interesting yeah. because I haven't thought about it. Good. Surprise, surprise. I thought surprise. you might. I look for you for, <laughs> for hope. Yeah. So um, I, I agree. I think that structure needs to be built and it needs to be mindful and it needs to be deliberate. 
and, um, and, and I applaud this idea of, of becoming uh, an employer that, that, that takes the time to build structure. Um, secondly, though, I'd, I would say that uh, the one thing that changed everything for us was that we kept on losing people that were late, for example. And I was from the old school, you're late, you should know that you're late, everybody needs to be on time, I'm sorry, this isn't working out, shake their hands and say, thank you, it just isn't gonna work out. And that was it. And after we'd lost so many folks, I realized that maybe it's me. <laughs> maybe it's our organization. What if I asked questions to try to figure out why we were losing so many people with a past of addiction or incarceration, why they were late. That simple thing, that simple thing where I spent five minutes going through why. Mm -hmm. How about your alarm? How do you do it? What did you do the night before? How much sleep did you get? How much do you get, get sleep? How much sleep do you get normally? What is your goal? What do you eat and drink? What's your ritual before you go to bed? This all sounds very tactical, and it is. We're trying to show that there's a practical way to be on time. However, what it produces is a relationship. They realize that we care about them. And the extra five minutes that we spend on them is the secret sauce. And it might take three or four or five of those experiences to be less transactional like I was before and more relational like I strive to be now. And maybe if there's four or five of those that you could string along, that there might be an opportunity for someone that needs to share a, something that might be hard to talk about with the employer that really counts. It, it probably isn't the first time they're gonna be honest with you, but it's the culmination of your relationship at work. And it might be the only chance that she has or he has to be able to be honest and get, get some help from a, an exterior you know, position. And I know you specialize with substance use and, and misuse and incarceration, but those are critical questions to ask for the person who's experiencing violence in the home, keeping people from work, keeping them up all night, you know, sleep deprivation, all those, anything to jeopardize and keep that control um, in the hands of that abusive partner and, and making their job insecure is a huge piece. So when you were going through that, I thought, I've got a few staff actually that are not quite on time. And I have to say, I don't know that I ask those questions either, although I do think we're a very relational you know, um, organization, organization yeah, just absolutely. in general. But, but to build that in, and, and I hope folks that are listening into this go, I could ask those questions. Like that's a helpful template for me to know. Well, if you go into a hospital emergency room, you're gonna be asked if you're safe in your home. So why why do we struggle in asking our employees mm -hmm. the same thing? Um, you know, and I, I think it is exactly what Rob said. It's developing that relational interaction where you can ask that question and be able to deal with whatever the answer is. Which I think is lovely, and I love that both of you have that approach to employment. But for someone that is maybe more focused on profit margins and bottom line and how much time these conversations are going to take, what would you say to them? Um, it is much more expensive to lose a good employee and hire another one. 
than it is to take the five minutes to, to make sure the employee's okay. And I would tell them before we adopted this, our average tenure with people that were coming from a past of addiction or incarceration was two weeks. After we adopted this more relational employment model, it's 11 months. Wow, wow. So that definitely affects the bottom line and just Absolutely. general morale in the workplace, yeah. And that's, you know, it's about cultural change and that's, that's what you're trying to achieve, so. Um, yeah. Which is such a top-down piece, right? I think, you know, again, a, a call out in this conversation is that people that own businesses or in a position of leadership, that this has to be built in. So you can be maybe a front-end manager, you know, you can be the sous chef or you can, but, right. but it, and that's yeah. great to have those pieces, you know, to be able to bring forward, but it has to be respected from the, from the top down. And I love that you said that because financially, it makes sense to do these practices. Absolutely. Yeah. And then the last episode that we did, someone was, we had a conversation about faith and one of the people was talking about just changing the air that we breathe. And that seems to apply here. That's just, a lovely thought. Isn't it? I lovely thought so thought. too. <laughs> yeah, so that would really take a lot of leadership from top down. I do know that, you know, for folks that will be listening to this podcast, we are um, part of the coalition's uh, charge, I think, in the It's Time campaign is to be available for businesses that want some help in creating, structuring um, their own policy. It certainly would look different if you're a smaller um, restaurant or a nonprofit or a hospital or, you know, your Lexmark, right? It's going to look a lot different, um, but there's a lot of expertise in our community that, that we very much would like to be available to help people kind of process this. And we're so glad to have you all here as leaders, as a, you know, as a bit of a, your poster children. <laughs> well, to, to go, but this is really important. And I think it often, I think business leaders look to business leaders, right? right? Much more than maybe Stephanie and I coming in and going, this truly is, you know, this truly can be helpful. Absolutely. Can be done. It's can the right thing to do. Yeah. It's the right way to lead. Yes. Yeah. So when thinking about changing the air that we breathe, that can mean some really radical alterations, like you said, shifting paradigms. Um, so what would that mean to you, Kathy? What is this radical leadership? Or maybe it's not so radical. Maybe it's just compassionate leadership. I think it's one and the same in the business world. And, um, you know, I think that as we've said before, I think top executives need to be the change. They need to set the tone, they need to be the example, and they need to educate themselves. It, there are incredible resources in this community on this, you know, to, to really end intimate partner abuse. And as business leaders, we have to be the ones to step forward, educate each other, and um, really be the change. I think that it, our future economy depends on this. Um, our quality of life depends on this. You know, the, the overall success of our community. Violence is, is uh, something that is right behind food and water and shelter. You, you have to feel safe. And business leaders are in a position to be able to make that change. You know, I... Um, I guess I've learned more in the last five years, six years since DV8's opened, 
from putting my ear to the ground that our staff walks on. Mm -hmm. And Can I think- Can you just explain that yeah, a little more? Yeah, I think that I thought I had all the answers. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's interesting to contemplate taking direction from the people that work there. But a good example is the idea of just letting someone go when they're late. Instead of finding out what was going on and trying to save that person and assuming that everybody should just know to be on time, not everybody knows to be on time or how to do it or to break the paradigm that I'm just not a morning person, right? And I thought that they should. Right? I, I completely missed that whole thing. And I guess for me, what I want to try to be is when there is a business issue, for me to try to get the answers from the people that are actually serving the food, making the food, creating the, the experience, as I try to take my experience with it, you know? But it has to be this this I have to look grassroots. I have to look at the at the feet of the people that I'm supposed to be serving. Well, that's a pretty spectacular um, change of mindset. Um, can you just maybe there wasn't an aha moment, but the process of shifting that to be perhaps more of a servant leader or something. Can you just explain that how you came to that conclusion? Well, um, again, I didn't come to it naturally. <laughs> I did not want to do it, you know? And to be 100% frank, it was produced because <laughs> it, when we first opened Deviate, people weren't coming in and spending their money because they were afraid that they're, they might not be safe with people that had a past of incarceration. And we had to change that paradigm. And so I really had to really con really look deep into this to understand how this all works. And I realized while I was doing that, 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 that the answers were literally within my staff. But I came from such a high point that I thought I knew it. And I thought that my experience was the one that was gonna be able to fix it. And I can't fix people. I mean, in faith, you don't look at it like you're gonna save someone. You don't look at it, you know, <laughs> that you're responsible for everybody's happiness, but you could be part of the progression of anybody's life to try to remove obstacles or establish a flourishing environment so that you could live a better life. And that's all we're trying to do. And that I mean, that does sound radical, but one of the things that we constantly say in this field of work is that survivors are the experts of their own experience. So really um, listening to people um, about what they need to be successful. And I think that's really been a bit of the joy of this conversation in this campaign. And so I'll only speak for myself, but I think it's true for folks that have been doing it, is we were so stuck in a place of you know, whether it's criminal justice response or nonprofit response that we, we had done the research, we had done the work, but we were doing a lot of the work alone. And so we realized that domestic violence, intimate partner violence is happening everywhere, but out in the community. And we didn't have all the answers in 
faith communities. We didn't have all the answers in the business community. And so the whole idea of it's time is, it's time to realize this is a community safety issue. It's time to know about it, talk about it, do something about it. Not just for us to sit back and go, well, let us sit in our little think tank and figure out what everybody needs to do and go, here you go. We knew that we needed to bring people along. And then on a smaller thing, when you said that, we can be so guilty of that at Greenhouse 17. We'll sit and think and go, what should we do? What should we do? What should we do? About two hours in, somebody will go, well, maybe we should ask the women living at the shelter. And we go, oh, well, that's an interesting yes. thing, you know? And we still do it for 17, 18 years that we've been in existence. We'll, we'll really grapple with something and talk about it. And why do you think this is happening? We're noticing, you know, there seems to be a little friction here. This program's not, this group isn't connecting in. Hmm, what could that be? I don't know. I don't know. And then we're like, oh, let's ask the women. And we're like, oh, there you go. That could be it. So, yeah. Thank you all so much. Oh, go ahead. Oh. Say something. No. <laughs> Did you say wrap up? I'm sorry. I was just going to say, um, Kathy, you, I mean, both of you, but you have a wealth of knowledge about management. And because of your role at Greenhouse 17, really understand um, domestic violence. And so I just I want certainly to... know who to call. Yes. <laughs> so I have them We're on, on speed, speed dial. Right. <laughs> so I did want to ask if there was anything you wanted to share, but maybe that's it. You don't mm -hmm. have to be the expert no. on domestic violence. No. Knowing who to call is... Absolutely. Is great, great. We are so blessed with incredible leaders and resources in this field. And, you know, our the advocates that we have in this city, um, or second to none. And, and I, I think we're so very fortunate um, to have you both as leaders and all of your teams that are interwoven um, throughout. There are um, great resources here. And, you know, I, I, the, the great work that some employers here are doing, um, changing policies and, and doing this, we just have to work together as teams. And I think we can really uh, make a difference here. Just one last little question is, what do you all think it's time for? I certainly think it's time that we work together. I think it's time that we're curious and start breaking the paradigms that we thought we already knew, but maybe we don't. Perfect. Thank you all so much. It was a great conversation. Thank you for tuning in to the It's Time podcast series. <laughs>